Did you know that South Africa is home to the highest commercial bungee jump in the world? This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacation, a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, lifestyle, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett. I, I am joined, as always, by David Cumberbatch. Dave, I have a question right off the top. Have you ever been on a safari? And that doesn't Never. include that little boat in your backyard. <laughs> Never been on a safari. It's what? on my dream. It's it's on my dream list, though. Your dream list or your bucket list? Come on, you're old. Dude. No, no, I think you no, mean no, bucket no, list. No, 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 no. It's on my dream list. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm I'm not going to touch that one either. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna take a little journey to Kruger National Park with our guest today. For those of you who don't know where Kruger is, it's in South Africa. And uh, our guest who has been on our show before, which we'll go into in a minute, uh, her last episode, Marissa's, was back in November, I believe. We did one on ecotourism and sustainable travel. And that was really, really an awesome episode because a lot of times when people travel, they don't think about the environment. They just go and they leave their garbage and their you know, their footprint every place and uh, don't think about, uh, twice about uh, what they've done to the uh, environment. So. That was a really great podcast. I suggest those of you listening go back and listen to it. It was wonderful. So, uh, Dave, where's your next trip, man? Come on. I just got back from Hawaii. Where are you going? You've been in that house for three years. I think my next trip would probably be either Barbados or St. Eustatius. Uh, Barbados, I get, because that's where you're from, but Eustatius. I like Eustatius. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It offers a whole lot. It packs a whole lot into a destination that's so small, you know. Dude, you can get that sitting in your house. No. <laughs> well, that, that's also on my, you know, you said just on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it my I'm I'm calling it my dream list for a specific reason. Okay. Which I'll share with you. Off air. Okay, I got it. Um no 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 <laughs> not, 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 not off air. <laughs> I'll I'll share it with you. Doing this podcast. Oh, okay. I got it. You got a deal. Now, there is one place that's on my list, and you can call it a dream list or a bucket list. I don't care what you want to call it. I have always had this desire to go to Antarctica, and don't ask me why. It just looks like fascination to me. It's out in the wilderness, the snow. I know it's the coldest place on Earth, and I don't know why, but I just want to go. Listen, man, I'm from Africa. I can't take the frigid cold. I can take I can take the intense heat. <laughs> Wait a minute. Your behind lives in New York. What's the temperature in New York right now? I don't know. I think it's like maybe it's supposed to be in the 40s today, Fahrenheit. Oh, well, that, that's a heat wave for you guys at this time of year. So I guess I won't be. <laughs> I, I, I woke up when it was 40 degrees here in Vegas this morning. So I think our high today is like 57. But we, you know how you always used to like to tease me about those quote unquote haboobs that we have? Yeah. We, oh, came, yeah. we came dangerously close to having one yesterday. It was like 40 mile an hour wind gusts. And when you live in the desert, the dirt just blows up in the air. It's, it was funny. I was um, I dropped my girlfriend off at work and I'm, it's right in the flight path to the airport. And I saw the planes teetering back and forth, having a hard time landing because of the wind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, this place is no joke for anybody who's ever traveled to Las Vegas. It's usually windy here all the time anyway. So it's really hard to land here. But yesterday's wind was terrible. So anyway. Uh, let's get on with the business at hand here. But before I do, you can catch our TripCast 360 podcast anywhere, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Apple, whatever, whatever, whatever. But the best place to check us out is on our website at TripCast360.com. Um, we, uh, this will be our second or third episode of 2022. We're off to kind of a slow start because yours truly suffered from COVID and lost his voice for a week. So we're playing a little bit of catch up here, but, uh, uh, you should check us out. And Dave is going to tell you a little bit about our social media handles. Well, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Just follow us, like us, tag us, and, you know, we'll all be happy and our fans will be happy as well. Our audience will be happy as well. We got fans? 
Yeah, we got fans. Come on, man. Oh, man. So, by the way, before we get, get to Marissa, um, for, the, for those of you who have uh, show ideas and show suggestions, please send them to us at contact at tripcast360.com. Um, I, I think getting show ideas from our listeners uh, helps us better um, gauge what you're interested in, where you're traveling, where you want to go to, and things like that. So uh, just send us yes. a request, and there's a high probability we know somebody who's been there if the two of us have not. Uh, right. So uh, please, please reach out to us. And without further ado, you've heard me mention her name about a half a dozen times already. Uh, her name is Marissa Principe. And like I said before, she first appeared on our podcast last November uh, when we did one on ecotourism and sustainable travel. She's a New York based uh, travel writer. And um, I, it get, correct me if I'm wrong, Marissa, you made a promise to yourself at a very young age to visit uh, a new city every month. I'm going to find that if you kept that <laughs> true to your word <laughs> um, when we get started. But Marissa, uh, you know, previously wrote for CBS Digital on topics, as you might have guessed, that have to do with travel and lifestyle. Today, she's a freelance writer and, and her stories have appeared in more publications than I can count. Uh, you can check out some of her stuff on her website. It's citygirlrisk, that's R-I-S-S dot com. And today we're going to talk about Kruger National Park in South Africa, which she has visited. Dave and I have not. We decided we didn't want to run with the lions, but we may have to change our mind. <laughs> um, and for those of you who are listening, typically we do a broad overview like we've done a South Africa podcast in, in the past. But this podcast is particularly interesting because we're actually going to drill down to a specific location within South Africa. And Marissa yeah. is just the person that take us on the journey. Hi, Marissa. Hi. Hi, Marissa. Nice to have you back again. We had you for season one and it, it was a hit. Our audience really, really loved that uh, podcast. Well, we're happy to have you back. Michael mentioned that you were in South Africa, Kruger, Kruger National Park. I believe it was 2017 or that's when you were there? Yeah, 2017, 2018. Give us a broad view, just a broad view, and we will narrow that down as we go through the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, about what is special about Kruger National Park? Absolutely. Um, well, I think like most people, I wanted to go see South Africa. And so when I was planning my trip, of course, Cape Town came up and I was like, yes, I want to do Cape Town. I want to see the mountains, the penguins. But, you know, when you think of Africa, it's almost synonymous with safaris. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, if I'm going to South Africa, I am going to go on a safari. And kind of why I suggested this national park is because I feel like when people think of safaris, they think luxury lodges, luxury tours, you know, all these big tour guide companies come up, uh, which for me as a freelance writer brings up dollar signs. So <laughs> I was like, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this happen, but I was like, there's got to be a way. So upon doing my own research, I came across Kruger National Park. And so one of the things I kind of want to clear up on this podcast is that safaris do not have to be expensive. And I think Kruger does a really great job with that. Um, it's very affordable. You can actually rent your own car and drive it through the whole national park, just like you would in a U.S. national park. Um, so it's very accessible. And I think that is probably the biggest um, kind of myth that I, that I want to clear up. Okay. So, so based on my definition, my earlier definition uh, with the, the distinction between the bucket list and the dream list was uh, so Kruger National Park was not on your dream list. A safari was on my dream list. And okay. so <laughs> through the process of, of narrowing it down, Kruger is what I ended up with. And then upon doing my research, what I found out is the park is huge. I mean, it's miles and miles and miles of just undisrupted um, nature and wildlife roaming around. Um, they do a very good job of conservation over there, uh, you know, as as best as they can. But um, there are three parts or three sections, if you will, to the park. There's the lower, the middle section and the upper section. So kind of like depending on what you want to see, that's how you can kind of narrow down when you plan your own trip. Um, but the bottom section, which is the most popular, the lower section, 
uh, is usually where you'll see the big five. So out of most of the national parks, um, this park, basically in this lower section, you are most likely, they never say guarantee, but you are most likely to see the big five, um, which it's been a while, but I believe the big five is like a lion, a hippo, um, a leopard. It's basically everything you would want to see on a safari. So this lower section is basically where you would see those big five. Now, when you went on your trip, did you uh, or you uh, have a guide or uh, a safari service that you went? You drove yourself. So yeah, I drove myself. Um, I did end up actually connecting with a park ranger who had followed through Instagram, um, who actually was worked in the park, and so he had arranged for me to go on a night safari um, with one of uh, his friends who worked in the lower section. I think he does more of the north, and so. Yeah, just through meeting people and social media, we all had connected. And so I was able to do a night safari, um, which I highly recommend because what you see during the day and what you see at night is two totally different things. And it's definitely worth checking out. When you say the lower, middle, upper part, is that is that like by altitude or is that just how they have it arranged? So it's basically it's so... Um, it's so vast. Like I said, it's miles and miles of just uninterrupted national parks. So basically it kind of looks like an oval, if okay. you will, not an exact oval. I'm, I'm just for visual purposes. Um, but if you're looking at like an oval, it literally just means the top section. So that's going to be the part um, closest to I forget what the neighboring country is. You'll have to forgive me. Geography would not. Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe or Mozambique? One yes. of those two. And then yeah. the bottom is going to be closest to the, to the ocean, if you will. Okay. And then the middle part. So that's how kind of the, the park is broken into. Um, like I said, most people go just to the lower section, which is what I did too because of time constraints. But Typically, the lower section is the most popular, and it's where you'll see those big five, ideally. Um, and then the middle section is better for seeing more lions. It's got bigger plains. So you'll typically see like bigger packs of animals, is what I was told. And then the north section uh, or the top section is um, great for birding. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to hear something about this night safari. You just said uh, before we took that quick break that it was really cool. What what was that like? I, I mean, I, I'm imagining in a vehicle of some kind driving through a, a a safari, and all I see is the eyes of the animals looking back at you. I mean, that's kind of cool, actually. What was that like? It's, that yeah. is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Go yeah. ahead, Marissa. Actually, um, lions are very active during the night, uh, basically right. because, you know, they kind of have more of that element of surprise. So the night mm -hmm. is working for them. So it's easier to kind of like hunt down prey. So they're very active. A lot of the animals are very active at night, which I had no idea. I thought it was like sunrise, sundown kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so you will see, uh, like we saw three lions just you know, chilling out, eating a carcass. Um, it was also very special because we saw a white rhinos, which if you're following conservation at all, you know, white rhinos are no longer um, in existence. Uh, well, there's no, there's no more male white rhinos. So there's only females left. So we saw a mother and a baby, also both female. Um, I forget where exactly they were holding the, male white rhino but uh basically the story was he was in captivity and conservation and due to corruption and uh just like an unfortunate circumstance he was poached so they're kind of trying to do from what i've understood a Jurassic park concoction where they're trying to cook up uh male white rhinos so okay about that. that's a little scary but okay <laughs> Right. It's very interesting, but um, that's kind of the consensus. But right now there's only females left. So during that night safari, we saw a mom and a baby. And that was really special because, you know, I'm like, when am I going to have the opportunity to see this again? I might never have it. So right. that was really special. And 
also kind of humbling and just like another kind of reminder of like why I'm so passionate about this because you know I mean who knows if I'm gonna have children one day but like if I do you know they might not be able to see that and that's really disappointing yeah it really is I I can imagine too being out in the middle of the night you're away from a big city so the stars and just the the scenery of it uh must be awe-inspiring it actually makes you you know understand how small we are on the planet absolutely um, and like I said, we saw elephants, uh, we saw a newborn baby who was just a few days old, um, following the mom around. So cute. Uh, so I definitely recommend it. If anyone's on safari, try and do a night safari. Um, but like I said, this particular safari was arranged by the, um, national park. So that's the thing too. Even if you rent your own car, um, if you stay at one of the rest camps, you can still do safaris. Um, with a guided tour through the rest camp, through the national park. Wow. I read where there's a whole lot more they offer apart from sightseeing tours. There's hiking, there's camping, you know, there's river and bush walks. I can't imagine walking with all those wild animals, those dangerous wild animals. Did you get the opportunity to do some walking or hiking while you were there? No. So I didn't do any of the, the bushwalks. Um, I also had the same sentiment where I was like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I think for me, it was again, coming from a conservation standpoint, I was just like, you know what, worst case scenario you know, they carry guns with them. So it's, you will be protected, but I would never want to put myself in a situation where an animal would have to you know, because I'm walking around from what I've understand that's never happened. Um, and the guys are trained, you know, they've lived there their whole life. They're locals. Um, they know everything about the animals. They can spot them, tell where they are, you know? So, um, for what I understand, it's very safe and it's very responsible. And so next time I do safari, I have vowed to do a bushwalk though. Uh, you you better you. I I could go along with that up to a point. I know that that particular park is full of black mambas. Mm-hmm. I'm not walking any place where there's a snake. Yeah, I'm uh, I've I've been bitten, almost bitten twice. Not having it. Uh, I you know I I'm kind of like you though. I think uh, and Dave probably too. I'm not so sure I want to do that walking part. I'm just eh. forget the conservation part of it. I you know. Those animals are very good at sneaking up on you. You don't even know they're there. Right. Yeah. But like I said, I'm a believer now. I've been convinced. Oh, okay. And you get one of those big cats in a tree. I mean, you don't know that he's in the tree. Yeah. But supposedly wow. the experts, that this is like their backyard. They're like, they know who okay. hides in what tree. They know... Like they can just look at the the dirt and they can be like, oh, someone, there was an animal here like 45 okay. minutes ago. Like that's how specific they can be. How long was your trip there? Um, how many days did you visit the park? Yeah. So this is an interesting story. Um, Ooh, I do tell. <laughs> I, had, um, I was supposed to fly out on a Thursday and this was in March. Uh, when I was leaving. So like around like spring break kind of time. Um, and we had a big snowstorm. So South Africa canceled our flights, South African airlines, and they could only rebook us on a flight four days later. Wow. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so that was a real damper. So we were supposed to spend uh, like a week and a half and then we only had like two days, but everything. So I had decided that when we got there, we were just going to rent a car. So we flew into um, Johannesburg and we rented a car and we were like, oh, we'll just drive to the national park. Now, most people, which is what I would recommend, go from Johannesburg and then take the flight to Skakuza, which is right outside the national park. So it's like a quick one hour, two hour flight there. And and then you can just rent a car from that airport or if you're staying at um, one of the lodges, they'll come pick you up. So I was like, oh, we'll just drive. It's fine. Did no research. In South Africa, they drive on the other side of the road. So I learned that. I was like, okay. 
Oh, well, I'll figure it out. It's fine. Um, and it wasn't too bad. You know, you just like a few left turns are kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, we managed. But when we got there, the flight was delayed. And so by a few hours, so by the time we landed, um, you know, we, we had to rush to get to the park because how I planned everything out is that, um, and this is one of the great things again about Kruger national park is they have all these rest camps. So there are, um, the park is specifically for, um, like these rest camps and basically at a rest camp, you can do everything from bring your own tent. I believe they have tents you can rent. They have the safari tents and then they have like lodges. So it's kind of, you can go based on your price point and your comfort, of course. So I think we ended up doing like safari tents. The thing is they do book up fast. So this is one of those things where you want to plan it as far in advance as you can, especially during like the busier season. Um, But so, yeah, you basically go to the camp and you stay there a night and then you go to the next part. Uh, you stay there for a night and then you can drive to the next camp. So it's kind of, if you've ever been to Yellowstone national park, you know how they have the cabins all throughout the park and you can just stay at different sections of the park, or you can just drive through the whole thing. Um, but it, the roads, like I said, the park is so big, it's going to take you a few days to explore a park. So even if you just stay in the lower section, you're going to need about three to five days just to see, you know, kind of like a, all, all sections of the park from like East to West, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, because my flight was delayed, this eight hour drive that I had to do, um, to get to the national park had to be done within five hours. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, luckily there's really no speed limits in South Africa. They're suggested. i guess you didn't have to worry about the popo sneaking up on you (laughs) nope i was like i looked at my friend and i was like we're just we're gonna have to floor it the other thing about the park is it's like i said very well managed and everything is in mindfulness of the animals so there are speed limits once you get into the park so i think about 50 55 kilometers per hour and if you go over that, like the, the park rangers will give you a ticket. If you hit an animal, it's like an astronomical fee, something like very expensive. Um, I did not hit an animal, thank God. So even, I can't tell you the exact price, but I know it's a lot. Um, even if it's the animal's fault? <laughs> even if it's the animal's fault, yeah. You're, so, you're, in, uh, you're in their home. <laughs> exactly. So... Um, once you get into the park as well, there's closing time. So you have to be in a rest camp by like 6 p.m., basically after the sun goes down. Uh, because, you know, driving at night, visibility, animals, not a good combination. So the only time you can go out and explore the park at night is with the park rangers um, by doing one of those tours that I had mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I pulled into the first gate, you know, our first stop was the first rest camp at the bottom, but because we had missed so many days, we were staying in like the top middle part of the lower section. So then we had like another two and a half hour drive once we got into the park. So I remember I pulled into the park and the gate guy was like, you know, you have like two and a half hours and you know, like the gates close in an hour. Right. And I was like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'll figure it out. And he was like, all right. He's like, just letting you know, if, if you're not there before the gate, like you're going to get a fee and it's expensive. And I was like, I'm going to have to take that chance because it's, it was busy season. So there's no other options. Nothing else was open. Everything was booked in advance. Wow. So I remember driving and I just looked at my friend and I was like, I need you to be so vigilant right now. I was like, I don't care if the animal is like 10 yards away. Just like, let me know, shout. Um, So we went just a little bit over the speed limit, like 65, a little bit, you know. Well, Um, well, they they probably let you pass. And so we made it with five minutes to spare till the gate closed. Thank God. But it was very stressful. for people who are listening to this, Kruger National Park is not around the corner from Johannesburg. Uh, Kruger National Park is in the northeast corner of the country, which is 
on a normal day, if you're not driving like Marissa, a good eight hour drive. Um, and so it's not around the corner. So prepare accordingly. So when people go to Kruger, um, you had mentioned that they typically would fly into one of the bigger cities in South Africa, and then it's recommended to take the plane to the uh, to the city that's right near it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was right outside. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And as you were, we we talked a lot about logistics, and you said you've seen the lines. What else did you see? Yeah, so we saw the big five. We saw leopards, tons of elephants. Um, we saw pretty much like warthogs, antelopes, zebras, and you know, kind of like something out of the Lion King, where you know, you would just look at a plane and there were antelopes, zebras, you know, kind of giraffes, everything you could think of. Can't you feel the love tonight? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. So it was like Lion King. It wasn't like Jurassic Park. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although it did feel a little Jurassic Park at some point, yeah. you know, like we saw two bulls, two bull elephants fighting and they just got a little too close to the car for comfort, you know? <laughs> Wow, two bull elephants fighting, 2,000 yeah. pounds of humanity uh, going back, and not even humanity, 2,000 pounds of animal going back and forth. No, I'll take that and leave. Yeah. Did, did, did any animals ever just get curious and get close to you guys? Um, I mean, some not the bigger animals. Like any lions we saw were a comfortable distance. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason why they tell you to lock your car is because the lions in Kruger National Park know how to open the doors. So like Jurassic Park, like the velociraptors, you know, Uh over the kitchen, they bite the handle and they open the car. So there's a, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube. If you're ever bored, you can look at it. Uh, I'll pass. Uh, Did you, (laughs) uh, did you take some good pictures? That's what we want to know. Yes. I mean, I am not a professional photographer by any means, but I did bring my, I think I had like my rebel T6 um, and my little zoom lens. And so I did get a few good shots, which. Um, I love, and you know, that, like I said, the animals are, that's their house. They're roaming, they cross the street. So you're constantly having to stop and you're like by the hundredth antelope, you're like, all right, we're going to be here for a while. You know, like, <laughs> um, you see monkeys, baboons, like you'll just be driving and a baboon will be walking on the, the side of the, the road, yeah. like, you know, like he owns it. Wow. We were talking, um, we, we were talking earlier about safety in the night and so on. Are the camps fenced in or gated in? How how are you protected while you're in the camp itself? Yeah, so all the rest camps are um, within a big, tall fence. Um, the only thing you have to worry about is the monkeys. The uh, monkeys are, are yes, relentless. So they're, you know, if you have a refrigerator, um, you have to put like a chain on it because yeah. it will raid your refrigerator and your tent. Like you can't leave food out. Um, because they'll just come in and they'll clean the place, you know, even. Okay. I was in St. Kitts and, and the monkeys were, if, if you go to there's this bar that we went to mm-hmm. and monkeys are all around. If you walk away and leave your drink there for just a few minutes, just a few minutes, the monkey would take it and drink it. Yes. Um, same thing in Bali too. When you go to Bali, they're like, you know, don't bring any book bags, no cameras, because they'll rob you. Literally, they will open yeah. up your backpack and just start like taking stuff out. Nothing, nothing like a drunk monkey. Yeah. Uh, now you went in March. Did, did you get any recommendations for the best time of year to go? Because I know there's a dry season um, in most of the uh, South African national parks, and I believe their dry season is over. What, our summer, which is winter down there. Yes. So um, their dry season, which is the best time to visit, is April to, I think, September, October. Um, and the reason why that's the best time is because it is drier. So a lot of the lakes and riverbeds kind of dry up. So there's only these few lakes that are still have water. And basically all the animals congregate around these one. So like if you go to a watering spot, you know, you're going to see animals because that's really the only place they can get water as opposed to the rainier season where all these riverbeds and, and lakes are all full. So they have more options. Um, so from like a strictly 
you know, observation standpoint, you'll go to one of these lakes and you'll see crocodiles, hippos, zebras, giraffes, lions, like pretty much it's like you, you can see everything, like every type of animal there. And and I guess unless they're hungry, they kind of learn to coexist. Yeah. And that does happen. I mean, it's, it's nature. You will see like a leopard up in a tree and then there's a half eaten gazelle hanging from it. Yeah. I, I think people forget that leopards will take their prey up into a tree to eat it. So the people on the ground won't get it. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's probably, um, one of the best times to go, even in March, it was pretty dry. Um, when I was there, actually, it was during, um, I forget what it's called, like day zero when they ran out of water, essentially. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. So when, even when I went to Cape town, they were like, the saying was, if it's yellow, let it mellow. So like, if you go to the bathroom and you just pee, don't flush the toilet. Okay. Like, we could only take like 10 second showers. Um, you know, I mean, we're obviously tourists and part of being a mindful traveler is knowing a situation like that and kind of working with the community to do your best. But at the same time, if you stay at a hotel, um, they're not really going to go into your shower and be like, Hey, was this 11 minutes? We said 10, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, but it was scary. They were like, we don't think we're going to have running water. Like that's how bad it was. And so it's interesting. I think we had talked about this on um, in the conservation episode we did, but like people think that water is a renewable resource and with global warming. And then you also have companies like Nestle who are just draining springs, but it's really not. And just like, you know, um, just like species where they, certain species need more time to repopulate than others. Sometimes water needs time to kind of like regenerate and if you keep taking and taking and taking it's gonna dry up eventually right even when we went during march i mean there was like three in kruger national park there was just a handful of lakes in the lower section that were still had water i mean every bridge we went over was just completely bone dry wow and and i'm guessing that even though you're in a, a national park slash game preserve, there's not a lot that the people who run the park can do to provide water to some of these animals if there's no water to provide to the animals, even during dry season. I mean, they can't just truck it in. Yeah. And I also think, you know, when we talk about conservation, kind of like you have to let nature take its course, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. You know, at what point do humans have to step in? Than, and to protect them other than, you know, what, what they're already doing, which is, you know, the national fence, um, or I'm sorry, the fence around the national park to kind of keep the animals, um, confined, they can come and go as freely as possible. Um, but I also think animals are kind of intelligent. Like, you know, when we talk about ocean marine parks, there are certain areas where you'll find more species and sharks and whatnot because they'll try and stay in these confined boundaries of the marine park mm-hmm. because they're protected. So they don't have to worry about fishing. And it's so interesting to see that they've kind of picked up on that. Obviously, there's no human who's like, hey, this is the boundary. If you go past this coral reef, like you've gone too far, you know, but they kind of sense it. And, you know, somehow they, they understand. I mean, it's obviously not perfect, but they're free to come and go as they please. But yeah, I think in some ways, a lot of these animals kind of, they have this natural understanding in this divine intuition, if you will. Yeah. I mean, everything I've seen about a lot of these animals, they they know what's going on around them in terms of their seasonalities, in terms of water and things like that. And they seem to get it more than the rest of us do. Was the park busy when you were there with people? Or was it yeah. kind of, was it really? Yeah, it was packed. Um, like I said, because the busy season is from April to September. Mm-hmm. So we actually kind of went in the the off season, but obviously it was still dry. And we also went around like the spring break time. So I think I had started planning the trip like six months in advance. And already like there was only like a few options left in each rest camp. So it books up pretty quickly. Um, I will say when I say packed, I mean, packed in like capacity of the rest camps, 
it's a huge national park. I mean, there's definitely, if an, if you see lions or an animal crossing the road, you know, all the cars will kind of pull over to the side and you'll get a nice little line of like people pulled over to stop and watch. Um, but nothing that felt like, like there was never like bad traffic or anything like that. Um, and I think they do that for the animals and conservation reasons and, and so on and so forth. This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacation, a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. It seems like the folks at the National Park Service really, really, really have a grip on what happens in the park. Because mm-hmm. I'm reading and I'm seeing very detailed information like number of trees, 336, 34 amphibians, 114 reptiles. And they go through a whole list of, of, of the animals and the birds and so on in the park. Mm-hmm. That's extremely impressive. For a park as large as Kruger National Park, that is really, really impressive. Yeah, and so not only do the the national parks and the rangers work to kind of do these consensus, but um, even in Kenya, for example, uh, they just recently did a, a huge consensus over the whole country. So they counted up all the, the elephants and the lions and so on and so forth. And it's expensive. It's a lot of mm-hmm. money. It's very time consuming. And they'll maybe do it like once every 10 years. Uh, but they did it during the pandemic and they found out that they had this huge baby boom, right? So I'm sure you might've seen a few of the articles, like there were so many, there was a record number of baby elephants. And so one of the jokes was like, oh, well, they finally had privacy. So, you know, <laughs> every, every all the animals got busy and, and the numbers exploded, right? They had a break from humans and they were like, finally, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of noise in that park at night. <laughs> so. Um, in South Africa, yeah, the national park is a little easier to contain, but, um, you know, in a place like Kenya, where it's so wild and, you know, they have a lot of national parks, but they also have, um, you know, with anything with conservation, the animals can, it's their home, so they can kind of come and go as they please. Um, and so sometimes, you know, there's also smaller projects that go on with conservation for like Um, you know, these smaller towns, because if you have a farm, right, you've got goats, you are worried about lions. That is a constant concern because the lions will come up, they eat a goat. And so a lot of um, rangers and and these specific government programs work together with locals uh, to kind of conserve the animals, like the natural reaction is to go out and kill the lion. And then, you know, that's it. That's the end of it. We got rid of that lion that keeps stealing the goats, but, you know, they kind of work together to kind of finding that happy medium solution, you know? So even when we talk about like hunting, like legal hunting, um, in terms of like, you know, planes and whatnot, um, that's another thing with conservation and working with local people. So a lot of people, when they hunt, they want a trophy or they just want to take a picture with the animal. That's, you know, Instagram has become the new trophy. Over, over taxidermy, right. you know? So instead of taking that animal home now to just have like a picture again, to post on your social media is a good enough trophy for some people. And so what they'll do is they'll donate that meat to a local village. So if it's an elephant, they'll eat the elephant meat. If it's giraffe, they eat the giraffe meat, you know, lion meat, so on and so forth. And that's kind of how they've been working together. Um, and then now we're starting to see a lot of farms basically where they raise lions and these various other animals just specifically to be hunted. So essentially you have a lodge and you have all this property and you kind of uh, raise these animals just for hunting as opposed to going out and shooting them in the wild. Um, I have never hunted, never will, don't have an interest in it, but I will say when it comes to conservation, you know, we, we, I think we talked about this again on the the last podcast, but that kind of what is that happy medium uh-huh. and how does everyone work together? Because even though I'll never hunt, um, there are people out there who will hunt. So it's kind of like, where do we all meet in the middle? And as much as I'd like to be extreme and be like, I never want to see hunting again, you know, 
okay, so if we make everything illegal, people are going to go out and do it anyways. Right. And so that's kind of the, the one of the longstanding issues that Africa has with um, illegal poaching and the endless struggle, really. But so that's why I encourage everyone go on a safari, you know, see these animals, appreciate them, love them. And, you know, hopefully it's something you bring your children to do and so on and so forth. And like I said, uh, from the beginning, it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, all in all, like renting a car and, and staying at the tents didn't really sp- spend like maybe a couple hundred dollars as opposed to, you know, the, the thousands of dollars you might spend going through a tour guide. If you have the money, definitely spend it because I'm sure that's a fantastic experience. Uh, but you know, like I said, as a, a starting out as a freelance writer, I did not have that kind of capital. <laughs> and so, you know, that was one of the things that I kind of really wanted to dispel is that, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. And I definitely applaud South Africa for having that available. And not just for people like me who want to come and visit and appreciate it, but also for local people too. Right. Yeah, I, I know your trip got truncated because of the airfare stuff. Uh, is there something in the park that you wanted to see that you didn't get a chance to? Um, yeah, I actually, I really wanted to see the middle where the there's more planes, so the middle section. So even if you're staying in the low in the lower section, you could drive up to the middle and do like you know, visit halfway and then drive back to the next, the next rest camp. Um, so that is something that I'm kind of sad you didn't get to do. Uh, because I, we, like I said, we saw like a few lions here and there, but I didn't really get to see like huge herd. Okay. I'm not sure if that's actually what they're called, if they're called a herd or not, but you know, like a, a pack or family. Right. So next time I'll be back. I mean, I fell in love with the park. How could you not? And I will say for anyone listening to this, the biggest tip that I can give anyone is um, go online, find the Facebook groups, find the Twitter accounts. Um, I got added to a, uh, a WhatsApp account. So basically it was like a big group chat and when people would see an animal, they would text it in the group chat with a picture. They'd be like elephants, this road here, and then everybody could drive over and go see it. And not just for this specific park and this safari, but, you know, when I was in Norway, um, I did the same thing for the Northern Lights. Um, So basically, even in Yellowstone um, or in, I'm sorry, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, they have uh, a Twitter account for the bears that are there. And all the bears have a number and people keep track and they're like, Oh yeah. Bear four, three, nine. She's the one with three cubs. Like she was spotted here 15 minutes ago. And, you know, part of that in Jackson Hole is for safety, but it's also for, you know, conservation. And Hey, if you want to go see a bear, they're off highway X, Y, Z. That That's a great tip. You know, I never thought I would have never thought to do that. That's a great tip. Yeah. And so that's actually how we were able to, to see the big five and all these other animals is because we were, you know, texting with other people in the park and they were like, Hey, come here. Lots of elephants by the river. Um, and like I said, you'd be surprised. I mean, there's a Facebook group for everything now, literally everything. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. If you're traveling somewhere and you're kind of doing like a DIY and you don't have like that experienced tour guide, that's one way you can kind of, um, be your own tour guide. If you you even get pictures of the drunk monkeys. Yeah. On a personal level, you talked about having a balanced approach. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, the advantages in terms of preservation and, and um, conservation. What are the pros and cons on, on either side of the equation? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about a place like Kruger National Park, um, you know, I think any national park in Africa specifically is like I mentioned, going to have problems with like illegal poaching no matter what. And so part of that ties into, there's always political ties. So whether that's like corruption or whether that's, you know, the list goes on and on of, of pros and cons, if you will. But, um, I will say like one of the great things that the national park does is, you know, it really does provide these opportunities for not only people like 
myself, but also, you know, um, neighboring countries as well to kind of everyone to get into the, this conversation of conservation. So, you know, to see these animals are to love them. Um, and to kind of, it's, that's something I'm going to remember for the, the rest of my life. Like I will forever remember what the sunrise looked up and the sunset over the savannah, over a pack of wildebeest, you know, that's something that you will never forget. And so, you know, growing up from, as a Disney kid, you know, seeing the Lion King, that was always something where I was like, wow, that would be amazing to see. And like, was there a monkey holding a lion with animals going crazy? No, but you know, to kind of see all those animals coexisting, it's like a lasting impression. And I will say the way that they kind of, um, you know, monitor the park and that they kind of keep the numbers low and protect the animals. I mean, to whatever extent that may be doing their best and the consensus, it all kind of goes into research data and then, you know, so on and so forth. Like I said, I've written about it. And so for me, I hope to inspire other people to go and, you know, they'll go and hopefully they'll love it. And then they tell their kids who tell their kids who tell their kids. Wow. 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 So when are you going back? Hopefully soon. <laughs> Just thought I would ask. Because it sounds yeah. like you fell in love with the place. Oh, absolutely. And um, not even just Kruger, you know, Cape Town is also fantastic. Um, you know, it's one of those places where I say you have a family and nobody can agree on what they want to do on vacation. Go to Cape Town because there's literally something for everyone. You have hiking, beautiful beaches, mountains, safaris. You've got vineyards and then you have like a bustling city with great culinary scene. Um, so there's something literally for everyone there. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, just the country overall, uh, they do a really great job with tourism and, you know, conservation as well, I believe. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those great vacation spots. That's absolutely fantastic. And now they, there's actually a lot of direct flights. So United has one to Cape town. Um, I think American Airlines, if I'm correct, started one, either American or Delta, one of those. Um, but yeah, so it's becoming more accessible, which I hope is a trend that will continue because, you know, I think the flights are probably the biggest hurdle when it comes to Africa because it's a big ticket item. So right. if you know how to hack your points and do it right, it's definitely doable, which is how I uh, have traveled to Africa on more than one occasion. Um but yeah, it's it's an unforgettable experience. And I I hope that going forward, that'll be the trend and that it's just more accessible so more people can experience it. And, you know, my personal opinion is I think tourism is like the answer to, you know, kind of world peace, if you will, in a way, not to sound self-righteous about it. But, you know, if you're a, if you're a conscious minded traveler, you know, and you kind of go in with supporting local people, supporting small businesses, you know, I think that's one way to, you know, pardon the euphemism, but, you know, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, you know, he'll eat for the rest of his life. Right. No. Tell me about two experiences that you've had. One, great, one good, and one really funny, funny experience that you've had there. In South Africa? Yes. Okay, so um, while I was in Cape Town, I did uh, the shark diving with great white <laughs> sharks, you know, where you go in the cage. I will say it is not like you see in the movies. In um, Jaws. Yeah, well, so as you know, I'm a huge shark conservationist, so... Uh -huh. They have a bad PR problem. And one of my goals is to try and switch that narrative. Um, I will say that's probably the closest experience I've had with um, a shark encounter, if you will. But so normally in the movies, you know, you, you're in this big wide cage, you're sunk it down, the water's crystal clear. That is not the case in South Africa. The water, um, the visibility is very low because it's a very sandy bay. So if I put my arm out, I can maybe see up to my elbow. So because of that, the cages are different. They're actually just 
like uh, small skinny rectangles and it just hangs over the side of the boat. So you're literally just like hopping in and out of the boat. It's also really cold and you're usually going like early in the morning. So um, you get your wetsuit on, you go in and you're just kind of sitting there freezing. And then when the shark swims by, they're like, okay, everybody get down. So you go under the water and you look at the shark and then you pop back up. Right. Cause you can only see him for a few seconds because the visibility is that so bad. bad. Wow. Yeah. So, um, again, one of the interesting things is that when I got there, they were like, we haven't seen great white sharks in months, So you might not see a great white shark. It's kind of like a, who knows if it's going to happen. And I had a lot of people message me on Instagram being like, don't do it. I wasted money. Like, you know, it was a complete waste of my time. We didn't see any sharks. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I was like, what's the deal? And so in addition to the country running out of water, uh, the other challenge was they were having their own um, kind of not necessarily a conservation problem, but the orca whales were flipping over great white sharks and they were eating the livers. So it only, they only did it to about three or four great white sharks which is very interesting because in the history of um, basically, so when you go on this boat, you're working with marine biologists, they're shark scientists, they help collect data. They help um, kind of gauge like what's the size, the weight of the shark, male or female, and then they give all that information to the scientists. So again, one of those great stories, conservation, tourism, working together, you know, Uh, but so they had never seen this happen that these Orca whales were going up under, knocking the shark over onto its back, which makes them immobile. So once a shark is on its back, it can't move. And then they were just eating just the liver. And so after that happened about three or four times, all the sharks disappeared. And so if you've ever seen National Geographic, South Africa is known as a great white shark hotspot destination. So for there to be no sharks there for months is so peculiar like there is two rocks with so many seals on it that swim back and forth they call it shark alley because they swim from one rock to the other and the sharks just like fly through this little channel and it's basically like a buffet for them wow 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 and those orcas by the way they are no joke they are the apex predator of the ocean most people don't know that they always because the sharks got such a bad name especially the great whites we think of them this the orcas and they hunt in pods. So, you know, <laughs> you're not outrunning one of them. These orca whales um, were just two male whales. So typically orcas live in pods. They're like right. six to eight, um, sometimes bigger. But this was just two males. And so I found that really interesting because a few months before that, I had gone to Norway and I swam with orcas in Norway. So off the Lofoten Islands, they follow the herring migration. Um, and so another funny story is I went there and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see these whales. And they were like, we haven't seen the whales in months. Like, <laughs> Why is this even happening to me? You but got so, the royal treatment. So I specifically had, you know, I have this one friend who travels with me and I drag her on these crazy trips and I'm like, we got to take four flights to get to the little Fulton Islands to swim with whales. And she's like, all right, I trust you. And I'm emailing the guy. I'm like, we have like one day to see these whales. Are they going to be there? He's like, I can't guarantee it. I was like, I know you can't guarantee it, but based on your experience, will we see whales? He was like, yeah, you're going to see whales. We show up. They're like, oh, by the way, so sorry. The whales, they haven't shown up yet. (laughs) So for whatever reason, this herring migration was late or taking their sweet time. And we got very lucky. We showed up there and we saw almost 30 orca whales. So that day the the migration showed up and there were whales everywhere, like as far as the eye could see. Um, And so one of the interesting things is I noticed that there were a pot of two whales. And I was like, what is the deal with this little pot over here? And they were like, well, those are two males. And that can mean one of two things. They're gay. (laughs) Or they were tired of taking orders from their eldest sister because typically in a pod, the oldest female gives the order. So they were like, we're done taking orders from you. Wolf pack. We're going rogue. 
So nobody knows the answer. But so the whales are in Norway from mid-January to mid-February. And then they move on. They keep following that migration and they don't really know where they end up. So when I got there, I was like, oh, do you have like cool lasers and sonar? And that's how you track the whales. They were like, no, you see that lighthouse? And I was like, yeah. They're like, there's a guy with binoculars up there. (laughs) That's that's the science that they use to find these whales. Um, So I just laughed. I was like, of course, that's so funny. But yeah, when I was telling them in South Africa, I was like, the whales that were killing the orcas, oh, I'm sorry, the orcas that were killing the sharks were two male whales. And I was like, that's weird. I don't know if these are the same whales. I was like, you got to talk to the guys in Norway. Like maybe there's like a conversation that could be happening here. And they were like, honestly, no, as long as the sharks come back, that's all we care about. Like we do the shark science. We don't do the whale science. Oh, wow. So I will never know the answer to that question, but I did get very lucky. And that day I saw four female great white sharks, which are huge. So my last shark, um, obviously wanted to thank me for my conservation. So she came into the cage and she tries to give me a little kiss on the nose, you know, like just came in, looked around and then left. So that's what I say. I jokingly say she was trying to give me a kiss. Like, thank you so much. Yeah, um, you, you, you keep telling yourself that. <laughs> if you want to know what, what every nightmare you've ever had is like come true, that would be that moment. <laughs> like I said, because the visibility is bad, you could feel the cage like rocking violently. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, the shark's just thrashing against the cage. So I look forward and then boom, great white shark in my face. And like I said, it's a, it's a small rectangle, this cage. So there's nowhere to go. So this shark yeah. is coming in. And I, have you ever read the book Flat Stanley? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was my inspiration. <laughs> I was like, if I could be Flat Stanley right now, that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, so like I said, she came in, she came out, all was well. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a fun, scary enthralling experience um but i will say the next day when i was in cape town uh we went to mama africa which is a very touristy local uh restaurant and bar where they do like live shows and stuff like that and it's definitely worth a visit just to go once say you've been there um you know and to try you can try crocodile kudu warthog you know they have all the meats there so for a tourist experience it's great do once um but we went there had a few drinks stayed for the show ended up leaving what were you gonna say i was just gonna ask you about your adult beverage experiences oh yeah fun Mm. south africans know how to drink (laughs) and actually the the gin um gin is a really big thing there so if you like gin there's tons of gin bars gin tours and then they also have Stellenbosch, which is um, the the vineyards. So mm-hmm. tons of South African wine production. That's another great day trip. So like I said, if you South Africa has everything for any type of tourist, what whatever you want, wildlife, you want to do wine tours, they've got it. Oh wow! Well, we're we're gonna have to have you back to talk about the uh, uh, South Africa in detail, especially Cape Town. I've always been fascinated by that place. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it just seems like such a cool destination. Um, lastly, what's next for you? Where are you going? You got any trips planned that we need to know about? So yeah, this, um, this winter I'm trying to get better at skiing. So actually with Katie, who you guys know very well, um, we just got back from Jackson hole, literally like two days ago. I saw the pictures. (laughs) Yeah. We were out there for two weeks. Um, Katie's an amazing skier. I'm still working on it, giving me lessons. So uh, we're going to Aspen in two weeks. That's our next trip. And then we'll be back in Jackson Hole for a bit. Wow. Yeah. I I grew up in, I I graduated from high school in Colorado. So I'm pretty familiar with almost all the ski resorts, including the one at Vail where I broke my leg. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a bad snow season. And so they had us stick to certain trails. And I inadvertently went off trail a little bit and hit a stump and the rest is history. Oh no. Yeah. I was only, I was, I was, I was 18. I thought I can 
you know, master the world. And I, I was wrong. I've been there. Sure. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, unfortunately now I think I may have a hard time skiing unless I just use my feet since I wear a size 15 shoe. You know how hard it is to find regular shoes in the 15? Think about ski boots. Wow. I have a rule for you, man. You know, that? you, you can star in the Godzilla movie, man. Size 15? Come on, man. Man, you're not going to make me King Kong? Come on, Godzilla's ugly. Oh, oh, oh you know what? King Kong. King okay, Kong. King, King, King Kong. You got your animals mixed up. <laughs> King Kong. King Kong. King Kong. Okay, That's right. All right. All right. All right. Well, good luck with the skiing, by the way. I know Aspen's cool, by the way. It's, it's awesome. Uh, you should, If you get a chance, you should even go back in the summertime when it's not ski season. Just the scenery up that altitude is just fantastic. Yes. Rocky National Park is on my list. Yeah, oh yeah, just watch the snakes. Um, anyway, <laughs> Marissa, <laughs> thanks for um, coming on and doing this again. Uh, I hope you'll come back. You got great stories and you tell them very well. So I know people want to hear what you have to say. So I hope you come back and we'll figure out some other destination. You've been all over the world, so it's not hard picking a destination that's near and dear to your heart. Yes, I will be back. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love Oh, yes. It's been a lot of fun. So anyway, we've been, so City Girl Wrist is still the good place to check you out and your writings and stuff. Yes, citygirlwrist.com. I also have a post on Kruger National Park there. So you can find, if you're planning a trip, all the logistical information of how to plan your trip, where to stay, how long to go, so on and so forth. Nice, nice, nice. That that information is actually valuable because it does us no good to hear you talk about it if they can't figure out how to get there. So great. Thank you again for doing this. And uh, that is it for this edition of TripCast 360. For David, this is Michael. So long, and we'll see you next time on another edition of Good Old TripCast 360. 